from Romans chapter 1, verse 8 to 17, which can be found on page 1125 in our church Bibles. That's Romans 1, 8 to 17, on page 1125. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God's, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far, so that I may obtain some fruit as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, it's revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Well, it is an honor today to be able to preach the word to you. Uh, I want to thank you first and foremost if I, if I haven't had the opportunity yet to thank you as a church. Our family and I have been here for about four months and it has been a wonderful four months. And I want to thank you, Pastor Tony. Uh, grateful for your leadership and uh, grateful for your commitment to the word. We're, we're very honored to be a part of this church. Well, as we come around today, the, uh, the text as I was preparing for today is Romans chapter 16, as Tony, Pastor Tony just read. Paul, in writing his letter to the, the church in Rome, writes these words in chapter 16, as Pastor Tony just said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to first the Jew and also to the Greek. It's a wonderful text. It's a wonderful text in which Paul gives us the confidence he has in the gospel and yet is a challenge to each one of us to where we stand in the gospel within our own hearts. There was a study done recently by a, uh, a group and they went to some universities across the nation and they asked this question to university students. They said, given our current climate as a nation, what do you think our greatest need is? Given our current cultural climate, what do you think our greatest need is? And you can imagine the variety of answers, can't you? Given the secular culture in which we find ourselves, some people said uh, we, need to deal with, uh, we need to deal with social justice issues. Some people said we need uh, income inequality. 
Some people said racial reconciliation are the greatest need. Some people said jobs are the greatest need. And the, the, the list goes on and on of what people listed. And I could almost pose the question to you. If I were to ask you, if we were having lunch later, and I would ask you, what do you think our greatest need is in our country? What would your answer be? It's, t- it's a telling question. Because it's easy to look around and give answers to what might be physically in front of us. It's easy to look around in the city. Zach just talked about how he grew up in Kensington. Now, I've, I've never been down to Kensington in Philadelphia, though I've seen videos and footage, and it is a heartbreaking scene, is it not? When you're confronted with images like that, when you're asked, what is our greatest need, it's easy to begin to rattle off a bunch of answers. But the, the answer that, must, that we must be able to give is a biblical answer, not just a social answer. Amen? Everything in, in the Christian life that we perceive, how we live our Christian life, must not be influenced by the culture in which we live, but by the, the word of God in which he has given us. Paul's answer to this question of what is our greatest need would not be anything of which these university students gave. It would not be anything of which our world, if you ask anyone in your workplace or on your street, though they may be valid answers, though they may be things that we maybe would be a great help, they are not our greatest need. Paul is explicit here that our greatest need is the gospel. Our greatest need is the gospel. And you might say, well, how does that work? How does the gospel deal with certain things in our culture? How does certain deal with things in our world? And uh, to which I will unpack and give an answer to today. But Paul comes to, he gives this letter to Rome. He has not been there, yet he is not a popular figure in Rome. Paul is not invited by the governor to give the inaugural address. He is, not, he is not a respectable figure with Roman culture. Yet even with the despised stance of which many had of him, he is still committed all the more to preach the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. He is committed to this. And some translations, though it does not say it here, other text, says, other text variants say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Either way, it is implied that he is speaking about the gospel, the good news of Christ. Of course, the gospel does mean good news, but what does good news mean? When we look at the gospel, we might ask this question very obviously as we begin to look at this. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Have you ever asked yourself that question? He emphatically says it. He, he encourages us. And almost When he says it, our spines almost stiffen as Christians. Oh, yeah. But why, does he, why is he not ashamed of the gospel? That's the very key point to us today. Paul has the revelation. Paul understands. But when we think of 2023, almost said 2022, when we think about 2023, as we approach this new year, it's wonderful that Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. But what about you? What about your family? What about your own Christian life? And none of us want to be ashamed of the gospel. But if we too are to stand firm on the truth of God's word, the inerrant word of God that is profitable to each one of us, we must understand why in our own hearts. 
Not just be able to quote Paul as wonderful it is to quote Paul. We must understand more. And I can tell you the first reason why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel is he recognizes our hopelessness and inability to save ourselves. This is the folly of each and every generation, and I'll, and I'll prove my point here in a second. Every generation, and I'll go back a few generations here, thinks the last generation almost got it right, but we, we're going to get it right. You think about it, after the Victorian era, there was the Enlightenment. And the people thought, oh, the human reason, when we can start to think and rationalize, if we can elevate the human mind and our thinking, we can figure out for ourselves how to get ourselves out of these problems. And they did. They, 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 they imposed, that's where Darwinism came into effect. It's remarkable to think that in Victoria, London, there was Charles Spurgeon pre preaching the gospel and Charles Darwin preaching uh, evolution all at the same time. But the elevation of human thought and reason. They thought, we are clever. The past generations, they were uneducated, but we, we are clever enough. And at the turn of the century, that's when the Enlightenment was very strong, in the first 50 years, within the first 50 years of the turn of the century, we have two world wars. We can fix ourselves. You know, and, then the, and then the baby boomers, their generation, my parents' generation, they had, they had the thought, you know, the past generations, they, they had too many wars. All you need is love. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that was the motto, though, wasn't it? Those expressions. You know, love is what we need. If we just loved each other, then, we would, then, then all our problems would be solved. And then there was and then there's movement in our, my generation, which is if we just have equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, then our problems will be solved. If we have diversity, if we have LGBTQ representation, if we have racial diversity, they never mean diversity of thought, but they mean other types of diversity. Then we'll, then we'll be settled. There, there is a folly in that thought. No one is going gonna, is gonna to say we are better off today than we were years ago, were we? Are we headed in a good direction? The problem in all these follies, the folly in all these thoughts is that they don't understand the nature of sin in man. Man always thinks he can save himself. Man thinks he can pull himself up by his bootstraps. But the Bible says very clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we are dead in our sin. And not to get too, too strong with this imagery, but I don't know somebody who has passed away that can bring themselves back to life. I've never seen someone sit up in a casket. We do, if we are dead in sin, we are not made alive by our own works. We need someone far beyond that. And Paul understands this. And this is the gospel. The gospel, though we say it is good news, doesn't start off as good news, does it? What well, doesn't it sound like good news? The gospel starts off that we have rebelled against God and we are dead in our sin. It starts off even further back that Adam, who was God, our, the firstborn, God had perfect relationship with him, unbroken relationship, and one day we will experience that in glory, but, but Adam had that. And he... And this unbroken relationship had communion with God, but God gave him the instruction, you are to eat of everything, but do not eat of that fruit. And yet Adam sinned, and he ate of that fruit. 
And because of Adam, sin entered the world. And because of sin entered the world, everyone that comes through him through ordinary generation is born in that sin, born with that stain of sin. And each generation, generation after generation, is born into sin. Paul speaks about that clearly in Romans. And through generation after generation, sin grows and the effects of sin grow. And we see that throughout all of history. We see that through our own generation right now, that sin continues to grow. And it continues to grow until 2,000 years ago. When, when a virgin became pregnant, not of ordinary generation. May I make that note? It's very important that we hold to the virgin birth. Because Adam was not his father. He is born not of the line of Adam, but he is a virgin birth. He's not born with the stain of sin. Therefore, he is not born in sin. And therefore, he lives a perfect, righteous life, keeping the law of God to a T. And God in the cross, and he goes to the cross for us. God himself goes to the cross for us. Who The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, as I wrote it here, Romans chapter 5, it's the brilliant text when he says this. He says, for while we were still weak or dead in our sin, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For, while, uh, for, one will har- for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone may- would dare die. But God demonstrates his love towards us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And how Christ goes to the cross and dies for us, and, G- and God imputes our sin to Jesus places upon him. His wrath goes on to Christ. The wrath that was due us in our own sin, God lays upon his son. And he bears that until he says those famous words, it is finished. But not only that, that's not where it ends, does it? But three days later, he rises from the dead. And there's another imputation that occurs after this. Not only does God impute our sin to, to Christ, but God imputes to us Christ's perfect righteousness. So that when we approach God, we are approaching God covered by the righteousness of his son. That once we were afar off, God reconciles us. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 2, if you've ever read it. It says this, I'm going to read two verses in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not yourselves. It is a gift of God. Amen? It is, for it is not his, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he came and preached the good news, which is the gospel of peace towards you who were far away, those who were dead in sin, and the peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers or sojourners, but you are fellow citizens and saints and are in God's household. Having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole being is be, building is being built, is being joined together, is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. 
This is the gospel. That we have good news. That Christ has come to save us who had no hope. This is why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He knows there's nothing we can do, yet it's only a gift and a work of God upon the soul and God upon, that God accomplishes through us, that he reconciles us to himself, that he gives us his righteousness, that he makes us near him. And it says in Ephesians chapter one that he gives us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Which is where, precisely where prosperity teachers get it wrong. Paul doesn't say he's given us all blessings on earth. He gives us all blessings in heavenly places. The blessing he gives us in Christ is not material. The blessings he gives us in Christ is spiritual. That's why you can say with the psalmist, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope again in God. For he has given us all things in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing God has done for us in the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. For all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. But I want to bring a couple points of application to this. Three points specifically. As we remind ourselves that the gospel is our greatest need. That Paul knows this. He's not ashamed of it. Therefore, we not to not be ashamed of it either. It is our greatest need. The first point I wanted to highlight is this. Is that is the gospel is the power of God. Not a representation of the power of God or a manifestation of it is in and of itself the power of God. That's important to see. He says it right here. He says, from the shame of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now we must remember this. It makes the gospel that much more glorious. It is not something that God has just done. It's not a showing. God's showing his power. It itself is God's power. That God would be able to be both just and justifier of sinners. How God can reconcile those who have, who have sinned and turned their back. It is the power of God and it must cause our hearts to rejoice in him. It is the power of God and it is fully effective. The gospel is not just partly effective. The gospel is entirely effective. It fulfills everything God purposes it to do in the Christian life. The gospel doesn't partly save. God forbid we ever think that. We should echo with the, the psalmist or the, the hymn writer when he says, Oh, the, my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole. It doesn't just save me partly. It saves me wholly. For it, then the psalmist goes on, the, the hymn writer goes on to say, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. If you have received the gospel, the gospel is an affecting work that it will complete its work upon your life. As I said, he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. This must be true, and we must understand this, that if we have believed and received the gospel, it will have its full and intended effect upon our souls. God will save those, and he will keep those who are his. But within that, God, the gospel being the power of God, it must stand with a confidence that nothing else does in our lives. Another way you can put this in this is that to everything, the, everything else in our life, everything else in ministry, everything else in church life must pale in comparison to the confidence we have in the gospel. What do I mean by that? I love our children's ministry, and I'm so excited for Zach to preach and, and lead our kids' ministry. I have two wonderful children in our children's ministry. 
But my confidence isn't in the children's ministry. My confidence is in the gospel being taught in that children's ministry. You understand the difference? I don't have confidence in simply a Bible study. I have a confidence in the gospel being taught in the Bible study. But not just the gospel. Paul, he says in Thessalonians, you have to remember this gospel, this word came to you. This word came to you, but it didn't just come to you in word, but it also came to you in power by the Holy Spirit. It is not, this is, it's not just enough that the gospel is preached. It must be having the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken and awaken hearts. For our hearts are, are dead in sin. We don't understand the gospel just by our own flesh. The gospel must be, awo- uh, our hearts must be awakened to this gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I bring this question again to you. Is our confidence first and foremost in the gospel? Is that our greatest concern in our lives? Is that the greatest concern in our church? You know, we've been here for four months. And they've been wonderful months. We've had a wonderful opportunity to lead our, the, the music ministries here, both on Sunday mornings and also our wonderful choir. They did want such a wonderful job at Christmas. <laughs> But one of the things that I get, the expression that gets said to me time and time again, and I, and I can't, there's a few weeks that I've gone by where this expression hasn't been used to me. The expression is, do you know we do it, do you know we do this? Or do you know that this is our tradition? I heard it as early as last week leading up to Christmas Eve. And I got nothing against tradition. I got nothing against that in, in, in essence. But you know one thing I haven't heard the whole time I've been here? No one's ever asked me, Jeff, in all that we're doing, are we getting the gospel right? Are we getting the gospel right? I know change can be difficult. And there's been a lot of change at Lighties this past year. I've only been here for a short snippet of it. I have no context prior, so anything from September to now is the only thing I know. But I've, but I've been told there's been a lot of change. And I know that can be very difficult for some people. But I would say you have empathy with a man who has, who has felt changed this past year. We changed our whole lives. We changed our city. We changed our job. We changed our house. We changed our whole church. We changed where our kids go to school. We changed our bank accounts. We changed our phones. We changed, oh, anything. I don't care. Name something else. We changed it. I went back to seminary. And there's been change galore this year. But we didn't change just for the sake of change. We changed, we made a massive change in our life because of the gospel. We came here, I came down here to go to seminary, which was the main point, is because I wanted to be able to preach the gospel with more precision, more confidence, and more clarity because I understand what Paul is saying here. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it and it alone is the power of God unto salvation. So I'm not, I, I, I have empathy, but I, but I bring the point again. The question has never been posed to me, are we getting the gospel right? And it is essential that that is the first and foremost question we're asking. Because it frames everything else we do in our ministries. It frames everything else we do in our lives. I don't know if this is, a, this is the same in the States as it is in Canada, so forgive me if this is just an odd Canadian thing. But in math, in, in school, in high school, 
When you're dealing with complex equations, there's an acronym they teach you to use called BEDMAS. Is that something that's familiar here? It's okay if you don't. It's simply an equation. If you have addition, subtraction, brackets, and other things in a long equation, it gives you the order in which you are to approach the question to get at the right answer. The B stands for brackets. Then the multiplication. Then, uh, then, oh, then division, then multiplication, addition, and subtraction. And you are to work out the equation in this order to come to the right answer. And you can approach the equation and do it your own way, but you're going to get the answer wrong. This, it's important that you have this order in life or in, in your equations. But the order matters the same for the Christian life. If the gospel is not first and foremost our greatest concern in our church and our ministries and everything else, the, the answer at the end of the day is going to be the wrong answer. The question we should ask ourselves on Sunday morning is, are we preaching the gospel? Are we getting the gospel right? And if that is first and foremost, if that is our question, if that is our aim, everything else is framed behind that. Our first and foremost concern isn't tradition. Our first and foremost concern is the gospel. And then tradition is framed by the gospel. And I mean that lovingly with a, with a pastoral heart, and I hope you see my heart in that. It's important. We must see the gospel as the most important thing in our church. We must see the gospel as the most important thing. My second point, and I'm probably, am I going too long? I don't even know how long I've been going for here. The second point I had is this is that the gospel is for us and then the world. What do I mean by that? Is that the gospel is not just for justification. The gospel is for everything in the Christian life. We need it as much now as the day we said, Lord, be my Savior. But Paul highlights that here in verse 16. He says, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to first the Jew and then the Greek. Why does he say that? Or for, then the Gen, for the Greek? It's because the Jewish people didn't think they needed salvation. The Jewish people thought that we're the chosen people of God. It's those people out there that need the gospel. Friend, we need the gospel. I need the gospel. Have we come to understand that the gospel is not just something we have on when we accept Jesus or when we do communion as a reminder, but I need the gospel in my marriage. I need the gospel in raising my children. I need to remind myself of the gospel every day that it's not by works I'm saved, but by the righteousness of Christ. So I don't need to wake up tomorrow morning and lament over the sin I've done and try to work my way back to God for a few days, but that I can get up and say, Lord, help me repent from my sin. I approach you in the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, keep me close to you. Because we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. It would be wonderful if you had Pastor Tony every day preaching the gospel to you as you wake up in the morning, but it's not the case. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works that we can't boast. That's human nature, though, isn't it? We, we sin, and we're ashamed of our sin. And the subtle thought goes, well, you can't approach God, can you? You need to, you need to spend a few days not feeling so good. If, for example, if, you've not, if you don't do well on Monday or Tuesday, maybe I don't feel like I can come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. But I've, if I've had a good week, I can show up to, to Bible study or I can come to prayer. It's a very big temptation in the Christian life. But the fact is, the matter is that our, we are not saved by works, we're saved by the righteousness of Christ. So the gospel is as much for us in here as it is for the world out there. That we stand firm, that the gospel is for every day for us. We need it in our lives. Paul, Paul sees this. 
Do you see it as sufficient? Do you see the gospel as sufficient for every part of your life? Do you remind yourself of the gospel? As we start this new year, January 1st, have you been reminding yourself that I need the gospel today? My, I need the gospel to be a father. I need the gospel to be a spouse. I need the gospel to be a boss. I need the gospel to be a good neighbor. I need the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. My final point. It's true to say this. If it is true to say that all need the gospel, and we would affirm that today, would we not? That all need the gospel? If we would affirm that all need the gospel, it is equally true to say that the gospel holds out hope for all people. No one is hopeless. No one is too far gone for the gospel. The arm of the Lord is not too short that he cannot save. Amen? Why is no one hopeless? Why is that the case? It's because the gospel is the power of God. That's why, it's, that's why it is open and, and hope for all people, because it is the power of God. It's not just a message, it's also power. And it is the power of God to all who believe. All who believe. And it's a wonderful truth that we need to hold in our hearts. We must never hold anybody too far gone. We must never consider somebody unable to be reached by God, both actively or passively. Actively in the active thought of going, they'll never come to know Christ, or passively in the never concern to show the gospel for them or to them. If I can give you two quick stories here. If you don't know our story, a number, about eight years ago, we planted a church in the inner city of Toronto. And inner city ministry is, downtown ministry is very different than suburban or, or, or rural ministry. And we would get many different people coming in with many different stories, many different backgrounds. And we had one, um, one young woman who came into our church, and she had a, rough, had a rough background. She had a twin. And she had gotten saved a couple years prior, and she came into our church, and she became a member of our church. And she, was, she came up to me one day after church, and she said, Pastor Jeff, can you pray for my sister? I said, sure, I can pray for your sister. What, what, what can I pray for her for? She goes, well, she is, she used the word, um, she used the word, no, pardon my language here, but she used the word X-rated dancer. And she's coming to stay with me for the weekend, and I'm going to bring her to church. Can you pray for my, my, my sister? She doesn't live that far from me, but I'm trying to convince her to come stay with me on the weekend so she can come to church with me. I said, fine, that's, that's I will of course be praying for her. The following Sunday, uh, got up to preach, and I saw her sitting there. Met her after the service, and for a number of consecutive weeks after, she was pretty rough. You meet her, she, you, she was rough around the edges. For consecutive weeks after, she started coming to church. Her sister kept, I think, just was so relentless in her ask. I think she went and picked her up. Just wouldn't take no for an answer. I'll buy you a coffee. We'll get breakfast after. She almost bribed her, I think. Kept bringing her, kept bringing her. And I remember the Sunday that, that the Lord saved her. And I remember a month later, we did baptisms as a church. And we, we rented an old movie theater. We didn't have our own beautiful building. We had an old movie theater in downtown, so we, there was no baptism pool. So we rented the local community center. They had a pool. And we got everybody, and we rented vans and buses and shipped the whole church after Sunday service over to the, the community center, and the lifeguards are all standing around as we baptize people. 
and she was one of the people we baptized. And we, we were in the, it was in the water, and her sister jumped in with her, and she prayed. She, she held her hand as we prayed. And then I had the opportunity to baptize her, and the whole church just erupted with praise to God. And we had the opportunity to help get her out of her situation and, and get her on a, a new path in life. But I'll tell you this. It wasn't the beautiful building that had any effect on her. We were in a scuzzy old movie theater. It wasn't the great music because we didn't have great music. It wasn't the wonderful kids' ministry because we doubled up our lobby as our kids' ministry. Our people would come in, and then when service started, we transformed the lobby into the kids' ministry. And then after service, we'd tear it all down at the end. It wasn't even the preaching. It was the gospel. It was the gospel. What our city needs is the gospel. What your sons and daughters need is the gospel. What your loved ones need is the gospel. It is our only hope. Christ and him crucified. Paul says this, and I'll end on this point. Paul says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, for I, uh, it says, for I have determined, or I have made a decision to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why does he do that? He's been preaching philosophy to the Greeks. He's been trying to argue with them. The Greeks love philosophy. The Jewish people love the law. The Greeks love philosophy. And he's trying to argue philosophy. And he's, he's trying to get them to Jesus through philosophy. And he just comes to the end of himself. And he realized the utter emptiness of it all. Vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. And he said, I've determined the only thing I'm going to have confidence in the only thing I'm going to preach is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only thing I'm going to stand on. As we step into the new year, have we understood, do we get that the gospel is our greatest need? That, that the gospel is the greatest need for my life. The gospel is the greatest need for my family. The gospel is the greatest need for Lydie's church. The gospel is the greatest need for every ministry in this church. The gospel is the greatest need for Souderton, Telford, Harleysville, Philadelphia, and beyond. The gospel is what America needs. The gospel is what our nation needs. Because when hearts are transformed, lives are transformed. We must never put the cart before the horse. Patch up the cracks on the wall when the foundation is the problem. We must be made new. And how are we made new? The Bible says we made new through the gospel. That God through his spirit makes us alive to Christ. New creations. Behold, the old is gone, and behold, the new has come. This is our message. And I would, I would say this. We need to be absolutely clear on this message. We mustn't get caught up with anything else. We must be determined in our own spirits that we will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we will echo with the words of Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. None are too far gone. And may it be our great focus. May it be our great aim. And may it be everything. And to end with this text in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. For you might, hearing that message, be worried about what may come. 
We are, the, the, world, the culture is not friendly to the gospel anymore, is it? We know that. And it's easy for fear to creep in. What this, what that, what if, what if. I want to end with these words and I'll pray. Paul, after expounding upon the great truth of our salvation, says then, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, he, rather, who is risen and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will not spare, who will be able to separate us from the love of Christ? Who will be able to separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this truth, and we thank you for this gospel. Lord, we anchor ourselves in nothing but the gospel. We thank you for the giving us your own son. Lord, we did not deserve this gift. But before our world began, Lord, you determined to save us. And your son went willingly to reconcile us to him, that we might know eternal life, that we might know forgiveness of sins, that we may know that the power of sin is removed, the presence of sin, and the penalty of sin are all removed. We thank you for this truth as we sit here today. Even as we begin to take communion, Lord, we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, who before he went, reminded us and told us of what he would do for us. Oh Lord, may we never be ashamed of it, but have a burning desire to preach this gospel. I pray for our church, Lord Jesus, that you increase our boldness and conviction in preaching the gospel. I pray for everyone here in their workplaces and their families. Lord, may the gospel be shown in our own hearts and our own lives as our greatest need. And Lord, may you continue to work the effects of the gospel by your Holy Spirit upon each one of our lives. That as we step into 2023, the effects of the gospel may be shown in our own lives, in our church, and in the salvation of our community and city around us. Be glorified and praised through this gospel, Lord Jesus, for it is your power. We thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.